You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. Hello, I'm Roxanne Varza, director at Station F, the world's largest startup campus located in central Paris, and this is Station F, the podcast. So we're back and actually in the middle of our startup zone this week, so this is the create zone, and it's actually around lunchtime, so kind of busy buzzing with the activity and people running around. And this week we have a special guest, Joe Krause, who is currently president at Lime, the scooter company. Hello, Joe. Hello. Uh, now, Joe, you're in France at the moment for two reasons, uh, the Choose France Summit organized by President Macron, and also to announce that Lime will be joining Station F with staff based on campus, and you guys are also revealing a new scooter model. Yep, that's right. Uh, France is one of our most important markets. Paris is the biggest city for us in the world. Uh, we've done over 20 million trips just in Paris alone. Um, and so that's why we choose Paris to do many of our most innovative things. We're releasing a new scooter model here, which is we're testing in a pilot a swappable battery scooter. Uh, the reason people should care about a swappable battery scooter is one of the missions we have is to lower carbon emissions uh, globally and be a part of the biggest problem that we have around climate change. And a swappable battery scooter is pushing in that direction. Um, the primary reason is a swappable battery lasts about twice as long as a scooter, so you're not having to recycle. You can instead reuse that battery over the course of multiple lifespans. And it means that when you're driving around to uh, pick up scooters, instead you can be far more efficient. So you can essentially have fewer carbon emissions for the vans that are driving around, which we're electrifying anyway. Um, and then we're really excited to... Um, continue to make investments in France being a part of Station F is really important for us. This is where uh, startups in France are. Like if you want to be involved in the startup community, one of the things we're launching here also is an innovation RFP. So all of these startups at Station F and beyond, we've committed to basically making our scooters available for new technology around safety and sustainability. Excellent. Um, wow. Well, we're going to come back to that because there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, you also mentioned how important Paris is as a market for you guys and a lot of details of kind of around the new durability aspects of the new scooter model that you guys uh, revealed. But actually, I want to start with your background because you have an incredible story. Um, and I want to start with uh, the different startups that you founded personally. So Excite and Jotspot. Um, Excite. I feel like we're talking about vintage web. Ancient, like <laughs> ancient history. 1993. Is that the year it started? That is when we started it. What yes. did the internet look like at that time? You know, truthfully, the internet in 1993, that was before the, the web, really. Um, so it was a command line tool. Uh, it was a bunch of um, DARPA sites uh, whereby you would use a command line tool to kind of telnet to different servers. Email was certainly around. Um, but it was not commercial, and it really wasn't until 1994 with the advent of the Mosaic browser and the kind of launching of the commercial web um, that consumers, uh, customers, regular people uh, were starting to, to use the web. And it was very clear early on that you needed a tool to search through it, and Excite was really one of the early internet search engines um, of its day. Uh, ultimately, we took it public in 96 and, and sold it in 2000. But it really, at this point, is ancient history that... that uh, you know, most people don't need to care about. 
Yeah, well, I think uh, you just kind of slipped in there that it went public and you guys sold it, which I imagine in itself is just uh, an incredible story. Um, talk to me a little bit about the, the acquisition, which I find super interesting because uh, you guys got multiple offers. I think Yahoo and Microsoft were sniffing around for a while. What, what happened? Just walk me through the whole acquisitions uh, situation. Well, you know, one of the things that, um, that I think about in startups in general is that I think there's two major mistakes that are made. The first is if a company can't find product market fit. Um, and usually there's a couple of reasons why they might not find it. Everybody tries. Of course, every entrepreneur is trying. But one of the problems is you've either picked a bad market. Um, but another more common problem is that you're committed, overly committed to your original product idea and you can't see the signals that you're never really going to get there. So there's a commitment bias. That's a really hard one. It's a judgment call. Um, really the only way that I've ever seen people inoculate themselves about, uh, around it if you aren't naturally gifted at it is you have advisors who are basically saying, you need to call that product direction done. Uh, you're not going to increment your way. But the second issue is that if you find product market fit, people sell too early. And you don't recognize that you've received, you've gotten escape velocity and that the market is much bigger than you could possibly imagine. So by way of example, uh, in 1994, again, the web had just launched um, and uh, Microsoft made a buyout offer for Excite in that time for $70 million. It was an incredible amount of money. It's, good, it's a good amount. Incredible amount of money. Um, even both now and then, uh, and especially then. But... One of, the, one of our investors, Vinod Kosla, who's really one of my mentors, said, you don't want to take this offer. And you know, I was 22 years old. I thought he was crazy. Um, but he said, what's hard for you to recognize is how fast the market is growing for the internet. And it was tiny compared to what it is today. Um, and the second is that you've achieved escape velocity. And he was right. It was a very scary decision back then not to sell, especially because people at Microsoft were saying, like, we'll kill you if you don't sell. <laughs> Very competitive at that time. Seriously. It was a different Microsoft than uh, <laughs> the Satya days, uh, you know, t what you see today. Um, but they were, in 1994, they were the scariest company on the planet by far in the technology space. Um, ultimately, we, we instead took the company public in 96, and we did decide to sell. There was a period of consolidation in uh, the very late 90s. Uh, Netscape had gotten bought by... Uh, well, Netscape, an early browser company most people might not be aware of anymore, uh, got bought by AOL, yet another company that people aren't, isn't really relevant today. So there was a bunch of corporate action, and we ultimately uh, did receive buyout offers from uh, three companies. Um, and truthfully, I think we made a mistake to whom we sold it to. Um, you know, if and I look, why is that? Um, we wanted to continue our mission and instead of really thinking about, um, I, I, I think we made the, what felt like the right decision at the time from a financial point of view, but I think um, if, I just, if I just look back in history, Excite doesn't exist anymore, and I think that would have been a different story had we sold to a couple of other bidders. Interesting, so actually, are you suggesting that culture is almost a bigger deal to or something you should study more than just pure financials. I think it's about um, 
I think it's a combination of you, you have to have the financial piece. Uh, culture does matter. And then thinking kind of um, thinking about just structural durability about um, the company that acquires you. It's why when I sold Jotspot, I looked at the, the sale very differently. Um, and selling to Google was a, um, a pretty clear choice when they came knocking of like, you know what, this is, it is a, it is a great home for this type of technology to, to continue on. Um, and it's still the case today. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it still exists. Is Google Sites essentially kind of a new version of what Jotspot initially was? You know, was? what's interesting is that um, it actually, the, the technology and the people have found their way continuously at Google. Um, and that technology has weaved its way into a bunch of different Google products, obviously including Sites. But, um, but it's become more a component, actually, into a variety of different technologies that Google provides. And what I'm really surprised by and I feel great about is a huge percentage of the people that came in that acquisition in 2006 remain at Google, which is very unusual in terms of um, back to your culture point. It, you know, it was the right place for people. Interesting. So then just kind of to conclude with those two experiences, two acquisitions, very different acquisitions, what would you tell today an entrepreneur to look at when they get approached by a company. And obviously this is after what you're suggesting is to not take the first bidder necessarily. But what do you think is important for someone to look at? Um, you know, again, I think that first one is actually the hardest one, which is really evaluating whether you have escape velocity. And in, I would strongly encourage people who have achieved it do not sell out of fear. Loss aversion is a really huge human psychological factor. People are really afraid of losing money or leaving money on the table um, and instead going for it. Um, if they are to sell um, and they have options, those are a bunch of ifs, then I would really think about what creates durability. If you want to make lasting change, the first step is you have to last. Um, and so having a partner and acquirer that allows you to, to be durable um, ultimately matters the most. Interesting. So really kind of seeing where it could go in the future yeah. as what would happen with, with Jotspot. Um, so then after the acquisition, you kind of transitioned to GV or what was previously Google Ventures. Um, and I think you were there for 12 years, was it? 10. 10 years, sorry, rounding up. Um, and you made quite a few investments. I think a few of the ones that I, I discovered were HomeAway, ClassPass, even Lime. Were you involved in the Lime I was. Deal? I was the, um, GV was the lead investor of the Series C and I was uh, leading that investment. I had made a bunch of transportation investments um, and was really interested in what the future of mobility was. Um, and truthfully, after four months of being on the board, I got so excited about the kinds of transformations that I was seeing all over the world through Lyme uh, that I had to get back into operations and, and ultimately joined. Interesting, because I imagine you come across a lot of exciting stuff uh, and leading entrepreneurs and teams. So what, what was so different about this one? You know, cities are these things that last thousands of years. And as a result, we don't think that they change. But if you look back in history, there are moments where there are big changes in short periods of time in cities. And it just became clear to me that we're in one of those periods right now. You know, transportation in general is a $5 trillion industry that's being buffeted by major forces like 
electrification, autonomy, ride sharing, um, and in the micromobility space, alternatives to cars. And if you just read the history books, you can really see, if you were to look at pictures of 1900s New York and 1920s New York, they don't look anything like one another. 1900s New York, the streets were where people were. They were, people played baseball games in the streets and they were for pedestrians. And by 1920, we had pushed pedestrians over to the like perimeter 5% on these things that were invented called sidewalks. And the majority of the roadway was for cars. And for things that last thousands of years to change so dramatically in 20 years is really incredible. So some of the statistics here are interesting. The Ford Model T was invented and started in 1908. By 1912, four years later, there were more cars than horses in New York City. By 1917, so nine years after its introduction, the last horse-drawn trolley got removed out of New York City. I think we're in one of those moments where we have tremendous pressure on cities. One, we have two and a half billion people moving into them over the next 30 years. Second is we face a global climate crisis where everybody's got to be contributing to figure out how we're going to reduce carbon impact. And cars are viewed correctly as a big part of the problem. Um, you know, it's estimated transportation roughly, I think, is about a quarter carbon emissions globally. And not only cars, but transportation in total. Cars are part. Um, and I think that at a local level, congestion is a huge issue for people as we put pressure on these cities and, and putting more people into them. And so people are interested in alternatives. And the, the fact that scooters have grown so dramatically, we've done 100 million rides in the you know, 20 months of operations that we've had faster than Uber or Lyft or any of these ride sharing companies to get to that volume is a testament not to Lyme, but to the fact that people are craving alternatives. And you just don't see that kind of traction all that often. Interesting. Um, and the ability to transform people's physical lives as opposed to their digital lives. And in 25 years of working on people's digital lives, I really wanted an ability to affect people's physical uh, lives. It's tangible. It's rewarding. Love them or hate them, people have an opinion about scooters, and I love that. People do have very strong opinions about scooters, and I'm, I'm hoping I'll get to ask you a few of the... Uh the questions or things that I hear and hear your thoughts on it. But um, I actually wanted to come back to something you mentioned earlier about Paris being such an important city for you guys. It's actually your lead market. Yeah, that's right. We've done 20 million city, 20 million trips in Paris alone. That's huge. Mm -hmm. And then followed by, is it LA? There's a variety of other kind of top markets in the world. Okay. Um, we tend not to reveal our rankings <laughs> all that often, but we do say that Paris and it is the, the number one market for us. That's excellent. So I actually want to ask you, uh, we just had these huge strikes. Uh, everybody turned to Lime and to Uber and to a number of different solutions to, to help us solve the problem. I know I did. Um, how did that impact you guys? Did you guys see a huge uptake? Does it impact uh, adoption? Do you guys seek out strikes like this uh, to benefit the business? Yeah, I mean, so first... Generally speaking, nobody wins in a strike because it is highly disruptive to people's commutes and lives. Our, our view was to um, increase the level of service. We increased the number of vehicles we had in the market at a time that was difficult for us to do so because our own folks were having a hard time getting to work. Um, our maintenance people, for example. Um, it did have the benefit of exposing more people to alternatives. Um, 
you know, scooters are brand new. I would argue that the vast, vast, vast majority of people in the world have never tried one. The first barrier in any new thing is getting people to believe that it's for them. Scooters are an experiential product. Um, you know, my wife hated scooters. She rode one for the first time in Paris. She had a big smile on her face. Most people do after their first ride. And she says, now I get it. So getting more people exposure to alternatives is the first step in people believing that cities can be different than these car-dominated, congested places that they are today. And my view is we're on this 20-year arc towards transforming cities to be less congested, less polluted, more human scale. Um, and if a transit strike allows more people to try this alternative and imagine how the future can be different, then I think that's net beneficial long-term, even if in the short term it's hard. That's a very healthy attitude. I'm glad to hear it. Um, another thing that I've heard come up quite a bit um, is with respect to how people treat the scooters. And actually, I, I spoke to uh, one of the founders at Bolt not too long ago who said, actually, no, they're not doing scooters in Paris because people treat the scooters so poorly and they have to just keep replacing them. Why do people are so <laughs> pessimistic about? about their own populations? I'm amazed. I go to cities all over the world where we are. You hear people say in almost every city in the world, yeah, you know... I'm really sorry. Our population must treat your vehicles like <laughs> terribly. But in other markets, I'm sure they're not like us. And I'm like, wow, everybody is extremely pessimistic on their own population. In my opinion, the people in Paris are no harder on a scooter than the people in Los Angeles, Tel Aviv, Berlin. Like, this is not a particularly hard There's market. In nothing shocking here. No, I think it is a hard business when you operate hundreds of thousands of vehicles simultaneously keep track of them, to protect them. But Lime as an operator has learned how to do that. And I would just basically say, I don't agree with that statement. I think people in Paris don't treat our vehicles any differently than anyone else in the world. Very interesting. I've also heard um, a lot of people confused about the lifetime of a scooter. Some people have said, actually, in the long run, it's not as eco-friendly as you think because we have to replace them every month. What is the average life cycle or lifetime value of a scooter? What's hard to get, so 14 months, okay. um, but what's hard to get people's heads around is how quickly that lifetime is improved. So it wasn't but 20, you know, almost two years ago when we launched scooters. Those scooters lasted a month. Um, but we've learned both how to operate them well and how to make hardware that lasts longer. And so now, yeah, you have that life cycle up at, at 14 months. Some people would say 18 months for some of their vehicles. I think uh, we try to be conservative in our life, life cycle estimates just to push ourselves. But um, I think what's hard for people to recognize is how far the technology has come and the operations have come to make vehicles last. Okay, well, that's a lot longer than I expected. Um, I'm going to wrap up with one final question. So obviously, we've mentioned some of the competition, and it's fierce. And I don't know why you guys have all one-syllable names like Dot and Bird and and what have you. So, uh, but joking aside, what do you feel is giving Lime the edge? Um, I would say a few things. The first is we are the most reliable provider in the cities in which we operate, Paris in particular. Um, we have really focused on making our vehicles always available. We have technology that helps us understand where people want them. Um, we work very hard on making sure they're reliably charged, well-maintained, and well-built uh, from the very beginning. The second thing that I think we do well is we work with cities on local issues. We're a global company, but with a very local focus. 
So in Paris, one important thing was parking and working with the city on how we create a streetscape that is uh, tidy. And a big part of that was working with the city on how we create parking solutions and how we enforce those parking solutions. So a combination of a global company with global scale but local uh, care. Um, and the second is great hardware with great operations so that we're a reliable partner for transportation. Those are the things that in the end separate those companies which can easily operate a couple hundred scooters from folks like Lime that are building a machine to profitably operate millions of pieces of lightweight electric vehicles um, in order to transform short distance mobility in cities all over the world. Wow. Well, yeah, I have to say the operations are pretty impressive. Uh, Joe, it's been a pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, be sure to give us a lot of stars and share with everyone. You can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, TuneIn, and Deezer. All right. See you soon.